Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Exotic Car Facts, uh, the Pundits Podcast. I am your host, The Real Deal, Dio Neal. And once again, I want to say welcome back and thank you for tuning in and listening uh, to the podcast. Uh, just wanted to start off today's episode by talking about um, the benefits of working with a car broker or a uh, exotic car broker. Um, me and a uh, good friend of mine were actually just having a conversation um, this morning about auto brokers and car brokers and kind of what they do and why um, they're important. And um, it was such a great conversation, I decided to go ahead and uh, make a podcast about it uh, because there's a lot of great information that we talked about, and I wanted to share that with you guys as well. So um, when you're looking at car brokers and auto brokers um, and what they actually do, um, you know, a lot of people kind of chalk it up to them just being middlemen. And, you know, to a great degree, I mean, that's exactly what they are, um, you know, an auto broker or a car broker is basically somebody who typically will work with a customer um, or their client in order to try to negotiate um, the best deal possible for them on a uh, automobile purchase. And um, really and truly, you know, most people think to themselves, hey, you know, why do I need to um, insert someone else into a transaction like buying a car, it's a pretty straightforward process. And, you know, most people say, well, you know, I can work out a deal or I can get a good deal on a car or I don't need somebody else to come in and, you know, work out a price because, yeah, most auto brokers that I know, um, you know, myself included, you know, will negotiate a good deal for you. Uh, but, you know, we also need to get paid as well, whether that's um, through an upfront um, you know, flat fee or whether it's a uh, commission contention on the amount of money that you um, save when you actually buy the car. And, you know, there's contracts involved for that and so on and so forth. But again, most people look at it and they say, well, you know, I'm just buying a car. Um, you know, I should be able to work out a pretty good deal on my own. And uh, the money that I'll save, you know, from not having to pay somebody else, you know, like a dealer or a broker, uh, you know, third party broker or, um, uh, you know, something like that, that's money that, you know, can go back into my pocket and I don't have to pay somebody else, um, which is true. However, you know, when you consider the fact that on average, most people don't buy a car every day, you know, I would say that a majority of people typically don't buy a car even every, uh, you know, two to three years. Um, in my experience, most people will typically hang on to that car as long as possible. And if you're financing the car for 60 months, most people will want to uh, try to hang on to that car until they've paid it off. Um, for a lot of people, that's a big deal, being able to pay off their car and then enjoy that car without having to have that car note, you know, to try to get a little bit more value out of it and, and stretch their dollar. And so... If you're looking at the fact that most people would not typically swap out a car um, unless they had to, you know, which might be five years down the road, seven years, even 10 years down the road, um, it puts the casual car buyer at a significant disadvantage. 
Because unless you're actively involved in the industry and you've got your finger on the pulse and you're constantly looking at uh, vehicle prices and target prices and seeing what the market is doing, um, you know, unless you're, um, you know, product knowledge specialist and you know um, what the trends are and, and, you know, what the values of the vehicle that you're interested in, your target vehicle is, and, you know, where it's trending and, you know, what it's going to be selling for, you know, if you're forecasting and you look down the road a little bit to see, you know, what the value of the car is going to be. A lot of times, you know, you're at a great disadvantage because when you go into a dealership, you know, um, you're basically trusting that uh, the salesperson who's working for the dealership, um, you know, the dealership F&I manager who's working on getting you uh, funding um, to do the deal, and also, you know, the inventory manager and, and um, you know, the dealership itself who's selling the vehicle, you're basically walking in there and it's kind of like three against one, you know, if you're a, a customer, because you don't really have an advocate on your side who's um, really working for the best deal for you. I mean, the dealership is going to protect its interest and its goal is to provide good service. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't. But you have to understand that the dealership is also um, in the business of making uh, a profit. And then a lot of times they're trying to make uh, the maximum profit that they can per deal uh, because that's business. And um, that being the case, without having a product knowledge specialist who's actually working on your side to try to work out a deal that's um, at least fair and balanced as far as protecting your interest and what you're wanting out of the deal, versus, you know, the dealership getting a fair deal for what they're trying to accomplish with selling the car. Um, a lot of times, you know, as a consumer, um, you know, you could definitely um, make a misstep that would cost you thousands of dollars uh, later on down the road. And I mean, you know, there's plenty of horror stories, I'm sure, all over the internet about people who overpay for a car. And typically, it's not even just the car itself. I mean, the actual um, vehicle itself is usually, um, you know, relatively fairly priced um, when you think about it, you know, and you can check that with Kelly Blue Book and some other things, um, other resources online to see what the car values are and, you know, what they estimate the estimate the target value or target price, uh, retail price for that car should be so that you know, you know, are you paying more, are you paying less compared to other people? Um, which again, that's not necessarily ensuring that you're getting the best deal. It's just saying that other people like yourself, you know, have paid this much on average for this vehicle. And depending on your personal negotiation skills and, and how well you're able to hammer out a deal, you know, you may be uh, better or worse at negotiating a good deal uh, to get that car. So with that being said, um, again, an exotic car broker, especially, um, you know, someone who's got their finger on the pulse of the industry and what's going on in the marketplace, who's looking at the trends, who's uh, maybe got a relationship with certain dealerships, um, who can help to incentivize um, the broker to bring in customers to that dealership uh, to help facilitate deals. You know, an auto broker can be um, a great and invaluable resource because, again, depending on how much you're actually paying the broker, you know, if it's a fair price, you know, a flat fee, 
to help find, um, you know, first of all, a great car, you know, um, to source that vehicle, then to try to work on your behalf to negotiate um, a very competitive price um, on the deal and still have you come out of the deal even after paying the uh, the broker, you know, his cut or his, uh, his fee for the um, work that he's doing, you know, if you still come out um, ahead or even lower than what you'd be able to negotiate on your own um, through a dealership, then uh, yeah, that seems like it would be the best uh, best of all possible outcomes for everyone. Uh, you know, to work with somebody who's working on your behalf, um, who for a small fee is able to get you a better deal than you'd be able to negotiate on your own, and um, you know, get you a better quality car, and maybe even get you um, access to some um, more exclusive inventory that you may not even be aware of. And so I just wanted to kind of highlight, um, a few things and go down a few bullet points about, um, you know, exotic car brokers and auto brokers in general, uh, that you may or may not be aware of. And just, um, to touch on a few points that again, you know, when you're looking to hire a broker, um, it's very similar to the process of buying a house in a lot of ways. And uh, for most people, um, you know, you go out and you get a realtor and, you know, you have um, your agent, your buyer's agent is what we used to call them. And that person is actively searching uh, for inventory, um, you know, maybe in the MLS, um, you know, the database that shows what listings are available, you know, um, whether it's through their own, um, you know, their own broker or through, um, you know, just listings at large. But, you know, your buyer's agent is out there looking for potential properties that you'd be interested in buying. And then part of that is working with the seller's agent, if they have one, to try to work out um, a price that works for everyone, that everyone's willing to pay and sell for, um, as well as the commissions, and how that's going to work out to get you to the table to where you'll actually uh, be able to do that transaction. Uh, but the big difference is that, you know, your agent is working for you. The seller's agent is working for the seller of the home. Um, you know, when you go to the, the closing, you know, obviously, you know, you have your own lender, I'm sure, um, that's providing finance uh, to cover the deal. And then you go through a third party, um, typically um, a title company, who's going to actually handle the paperwork and the documents and the transaction of finalizing the deal and getting everything um, properly um, recorded. So when you look at a car dealership, a traditional car dealership, you know, you as a customer, you're walking in to um, a situation where even your salesperson, you know, works for the dealership. So they're not necessarily your advocate or your agent. Um, in fact, you know, they actually work for the person who's selling the uh, the vehicle or the property in that case. So when you think about it, the person who's showing you the car is selling you on uh, the vehicle because they want to make a sale for the dealership and their compensation is tied directly to how well they do at selling you the car so that they can get paid by the dealership. Um, the F&I manager, the finance manager, you know, 
when they're trying to get you financing, they're not trying to work out the best rate uh, for you per se. Uh, they're looking to see, you know, what's the best rate that they could do that would allow you to purchase the car and still allow the dealership to get their uh, their points on the dealer reserve uh, so they can get paid by the, the lender that's going to finance the deal. And then the dealership itself, who's controlling the inventory, obviously, if they have uh, a vehicle in inventory, you know, they want to make sure that they're profitable and that they're not, you know, taking a loss on the inventory, which I can't imagine uh, any dealership, um, you know, at least not a profitable one, uh, taking a haircut and losing money um, on any vehicle that they're trying to retail um, unless they just got into it for too much and, you know, it's just a really bad dealer. It's a, a sale-proof car that, you know, they're having to give away for some reason. But typically, you know, dealers are going to get into um, their inventory or they're going to acquire their inventory at a price point that still allows them to be very profitable. And even if they say, well, I'm giving it to you at cost, again, you know, once you look at the dealer pack that's been added in there and other add-ons that go with the car, uh, the dealer has a um, certain amount of profit that's already built into the price of acquiring that car. So they're not going to lose money, even if they, you know, even if they sold the car to you, um, quote unquote, at their acquisition cost, it would still be uh, profitable for them. And, you know, chances are you're not going to get it for their acquisition cost, um, especially if it was a car that they took in on trade. Chances are the previous customers already um, taken a haircut on that. And, um, you know, they're going to lowball the trade to make sure they've got enough of a buffer and a margin in there uh, to where they can still be profitable when they sell that car at retail, even if they had to come down off the price, you know, um, quite a bit. And like I said, You've got so many add-ons uh, with dealer fees and other miscellaneous fees that they can actually pad the deal with that if you're not savvy and if you don't know what you're looking at when you're looking at the deal sheet to sign out everything, um, you still will end up uh, getting back to a place where you're paying more for that vehicle um, than you, know, you, you probably uh, could get it for less, but without knowing what the... Um, acquisition cost of that vehicle is and also you know what the market value of that vehicle is and what you should be paying without having that kind of information or that kind of knowledge um, you know you just never know I mean you could be paying you know a few thousand dollars um, above what the dealer paid for that car or you know you could be paying you know significantly more and you just would never know because without a frame of reference uh, to know and understand how much margin a dealer has um, you would just never know what they're into the car for. Um, so I said all that to say this, you know, typically when you're working with an uh, exotic car broker, you know, somebody who knows the market and maybe has access to, um, to dealer tools um, such as, you know, market reports, um, you know, someone who's actually looked at the trends and who's actually studied, you know, um, where that particular vehicle model is going to be going and what they've been selling for. And, um, you know, also is aware of, um, you know, certain incentives that dealerships may have to sell a car. You know, working with an auto broker is actually, in my opinion, uh, definitely a worthwhile endeavor, um, especially when it comes to um, more expensive or more um rare or exotic vehicles that you may be 
um, speculating on as far as an investment vehicle. And, um, you know, when it comes to those types of cars, especially a collector quality car, you know, you do want somebody who's got good experience with that particular um, make and model and, and brand um, and also that specific uh, vehicle to be able to kind of point out some of the uh, potential pitfalls and things to look out for um, when you're buying that car and to help kind of guide you through the process so that you don't end up making a very expensive or costly mistake, um, you know, as you're looking for a car. And I see cars all the time and I speak with people all the time and, you know, kind of consult with them to discuss um, pricing and the market on certain vehicles, especially exotic cars. And you'd be surprised that um, the prices on certain vehicles is all over the map, just depending on what type of car it is, based on perceived popularity of, um, of different vehicles. And at the end of the day, I mean, the car is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay you for it. Um, you know, whether you're a dealer or even a private seller, um, you know, even if the market is saying that your car is worth, you know, $100,000, you know, if you can't get anybody to pay you $100,000 for that car, then, you know, it's really only worth what somebody's willing to write you a check for today. And that's really what sets the market and tells you what the market, uh, the actual market is and what the actual market value of different uh, vehicles is. Because as I go online and even, uh, you know, I'm on, you know, sites like Cars Gurus and Auto Trader, eBay, um, you know, all the time. And I'm also looking at, um, you know, the market reports and comparing the prices that dealers are paying uh, for inventory versus, um, what these cars are being advertised online for. And you'll see about anywhere from a, a ten dollars to $20,000 float. Um, and that's kind of the, the disparity in prices. Uh, because at any given time, you know, you may have someone who just decides that they want to pay um, more for a particular make and model of car, and it'll show up as a completed listing, even though that the market price on that car may not be... Um, consistent with what they should have paid, you know, they may overpay for it just because they don't know any better. And so that skews the market because then other people see those listings and they think, oh, well, you know, somebody paid X amount for this car. So, you know, my car must be worth, you know, that much as, as well. Um, and so they kind of hold out for more money. And again, you know, um, in a fair market system where, you know, the market basically dictates uh, the demand and the price, you know, again, if someone is willing to pay um, a significant amount um, above the average or if they're even paying, um, you know, an advertised price for a particular vehicle, um, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad or a good thing. It just means that a lot of people are misinformed, even some dealers, and they end up paying a lot more for vehicles than they should. Uh, which creates a bubble because once the market does inevitably adjust, they're kind of left holding the bag on vehicles that they got into for too much and they're not able to get out of them um, without taking a significant loss. 
um, or holding the vehicle for a very long time. And even if you don't drive the car, um, just holding the vehicle, I mean, there are going to be holding costs that are associated with any exotic car, you know, even if it's just basic maintenance, tires or battery, um, you know, paying for your monthly insurance premiums. Um, every month that goes by that you're holding an exotic car, um, you know, you're investing money into it that may not, um, you may not be able to recoup that, that particular investment. Um, just depends on how much your actual holding costs are. And again, that varies on a case-by-case -case basis, um, depending on the car and, you know, what you've got into it. But definitely something to consider because that's something that a lot of people don't talk about is the actual holding cost of the vehicle when you buy an exotic car. Um, and so that's also something to consider. Um, a few other things I wanted to touch on as far as um, working with a broker. Um I spoke in the last uh, episode, I believe, about um, getting your dealer's license and stuff like that. And there's been a couple of you that have actually gone out and completed the um, uh, the pre-licensing course, which is great. Um, I think it's actually you know a good idea for anybody who's interested in cars in general. You know, even if you never go on to get your dealer's license, to actually you know take that. Uh, 16-hour pre-licensing course, um, and like I said, you can usually do it online. I don't have a, a dog in the fight, so I don't really, um, can't recommend any one particular course over another. I don't get paid to, you know, to recommend them, and, and I'm not endorsing any one over the other, but, you know, if you find a, uh, a online course, it's actually good information to have because the more uh, you can actually think like a dealer, and the more you're in that mindset and you understand um, you know, car sales as a whole, and you um, start to think and look at things through the eyes of a dealer, um, then it actually helps you to be more informed, uh, first of all, which is always great. But it also, moreover, it helps you to identify deals um, or potential deals where there is a great opportunity to make, um, you know, maybe a profit on a flip. Um, but if nothing else, it also helps you to be um, more aware of you know, some of the things that are going on behind the scenes when you go into negotiate a car deal or when you go to look at a car and it helps you speak the same language as the dealer so that you kind of cut through some of the song and dance and some of the um, the games that, you know, could potentially be played when you're trying to negotiate a good deal. Because at the end of the day, you know, the dealer does have margins that they're trying to cover. Um, you know, they've got expenses that they're trying to cover. Um, they're wanting to make a certain amount of profit and they're wanting to sell cars. And, um, you know, again, you know, it's business. Um, so it's not anything personal. And I don't feel like, uh, you know, there should be an antagonistic relationship uh, between customers and, and dealers. Um, a lot of people, you know, they hate going to car dealerships because of the stigma of, you know, the high pressure sales and aggressive salesmen who are trying to make their quota and push cars on them. And, you know, you get to the dealership and, you know, they take your keys for your trade and they hide them or, you know, the inventory manager goes to lunch with your keys and you can't leave the dealership. And so they just try to wear you down a lot of times with um, with some of the games or, you know, they get you in and out of cars and they'll get you to test drive a bunch of cars until you get to the point where, 
it's just sensory and information overload and you get fatigued as a customer and you're not really thinking clearly and you, you may not make a, a great decision because they're throwing all kinds of numbers at you and they're talking about, you know, your down payment and your trade value and other things. And so, again, unless you're buying and selling cars all the time and you're hearing these uh, terms and the phrases and you're familiar with the numbers and the financial breakdown, a lot of it becomes overwhelming. And at the end of the day, as a uh, customer, you want to make sure that you're making an informed decision and that you're buying the vehicle that's right for you, um, that you know, you're getting into it at a fair price that is competitive, um, if not you know, uh, a steal. I mean, which again, you know, if you're able to work out a deal that uh, turns out to be a steal and you're able to make some money on it, uh, you know, on flipping the car, then that's great too. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that um, you're working with the best information um, possible and that you're not making a uh, decision just based on emotion or, you know, you just get tired of being at the dealership. So you just concede and you just kind of um, settle for whatever it is that you think is the best offer that they've offered to you um, instead of going back and regrouping and uh, doing your homework and coming back when you have a clear head. And um, so you just want to be aware of those types of things and make sure that you're protecting yourself as a consumer by educating yourself with the best tool of all, which is knowledge. Um, you know, I highly recommend that, you know, even if you're not actively in the market right now, that if you do have a particular vehicle that you're interested in, um, you know, a specific maker model, either go out and, um, you know, start looking at them and kind of familiarize yourself with the market, um, test drive them if possible, you know, without having to um, have the additional pressure of having to make a decision about buying the car. Uh, because especially, um, you know, if you wait till you need a car or you're desperate to get into a car or, you know, most people, um, you know, if you were to get into a significant car collision or something like that and you had to replace the vehicle immediately, um, you know, because you're just kind of jumping into the water in the deep end and you're trying to make a snap decision, you know, you think about it, you know, if you're only buying a car every five to 10 years and you're jumping in to make a decision that has to be made immediately within usually a couple of days, um, you're not really going to be well prepared mentally um, with or mentally equipped with all the best information that you could possibly have if, you know, you're trying to rush through and sort through a lot of information and data um, you know, just kind of spur of the moment. So again, you just want to make sure that, um, you know, you kind of keep your finger on the pulse of the market if you're really interested in exotic cars. And I hope that you are, if you're listening to this podcast and, um, you know, also, you know, taking as many resources as you can to familiarize yourself with the process and what to expect. Um, you know, I talk about, uh, the buying experience at length in my book, um, exotic car facts, um, you know, and, the nice thing about it is the more familiar you are with the process and, you know, what's going to be expected of you when you um, go to a dealership, uh, the better off you're going to be. And the more chance that you're going to come out of it, um, having made a great, uh, great deal and um, you'll typically come out ahead. And at the very least, you know, if you spot a bad deal or if you can't work out a, uh, a good deal or something that you feel comfortable with, you'll have the confidence to be able to get up and walk away from the table and maybe look at other resources, you know, whether that's going through an auto broker, 
to try to help um, guide you through some of the finer nuances of the deal um, or even doing your own research to um, educate yourself as far as um, what you should be paying for a car, you know, doing your homework, getting a proper, you know, inspection done on the vehicle. Um, some of the um, common things that go wrong with the car, you know, routine maintenance, reliability, um, you know, maybe even looking at other owners' experiences or, um, you know, networking or um, communicating with people who currently own that particular vehicle to try to get their feedback about um, the quality of the car as a, as a whole, you know, as a brand um, and their, their ownership experience. Because at the end of the day, unless you're buying cars all the time, unless you're actively in the marketplace all the time, um, you know, unless you're always, always looking at cars like I do, um, then there's a good chance that um, you're not really going to be very well prepared or informed uh, to make a, a buying decision or make the best buying decision. And, um, you know, worst case scenario, you'll overpay for a vehicle that you probably could have gotten for less. So thanks again.